16, boy, I appreciate the faithfulness of God's people, giving, laboring. Isn't that good to hear that? And I was thrilled after my 40% cut for administrative fees and everything. There's still enough to do everything they needed to. That's how some of these places do it, isn't it, Ken? Them administrative fees, they get you, don't they? Them administrative fees. And uh, But hey, that's just, if you're going to administrate, amen, it takes... All right, no, we, we're thankful. Of course, you know that every penny that was given is going to go to that work, and, and we're thankful for what God's doing there. Acts chapter number 16. I'm going to read just a little bit of Scripture here tonight. We're going to begin at verse 16, go down to verse number 40, and uh, I really want us to get the entire scope of what's taking place a little bit before, a little bit after uh, some of the portion that we're going to preach out of tonight. Acts chapter number 16, and in verse number 16, the Word of God says, And it came to pass... As we went to prayer, now that's a pretty good place to be going, isn't it? I found God shows up when we go to prayer, don't He? As we went to prayer, a certain damsel possessed with a spirit of divination met us, which brought her masters much gain by her soothsaying. The same followed Paul and us and cried, saying, These men are the servants of the Most High God, which show unto us the way of salvation. And this did she many days. But Paul, being grieved, turned and said to the Spirit, I command thee, in the name of Jesus Christ, to come out of her. And he came out the same hour. And when her masters saw that the hope of their gains was gone, they caught Paul and Silas and drew them into the marketplace under the rulers and brought them to the magistrates, saying, These men, being Jews, do exceedingly trouble our city and teach customs which are not lawful for us to receive, neither to observe, being Romans. And the multitude rose up together against them, and the magistrates rent off their clothes and commanded to beat them. And when they had laid many stripes upon them, they cast them into prison, charging the jailer to keep them safely, who, having received such a charge, thrust them into the inner prison and made their feet fast in the stocks. And at midnight, Paul and Silas prayed and sang praises unto God, and the prisoners heard them. And suddenly there was a great earthquake, so that the foundations of the prison were shaken, and immediately all the doors were opened, and everyone's bands were loosed. And the keeper of the prison, awaking out of his sleep and seeing the prison doors open, he drew out his sword and would have killed himself, supposing that the prisoners had been fled. But Paul cried with a loud voice, saying, Do thyself no harm, for we are all here. Then he called for a light and sprang in and came trembling and fell down before Paul and Silas and brought them out and said, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? And they said, Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, and thou shalt be saved and thy house. And they spake unto him the word of the Lord and to all that were in his house. And he took them the same hour of the night and washed their stripes and was baptized, he and all his straight way. And when he had brought them into his house, he set meat before them and rejoiced, believing in God with all his house. And when it was day, the magistrate sent the sergeant, saying, Let those men go. And the keeper of the prison told this, saying to Paul, The magistrates have sent to let you go. Now therefore depart and go in peace." But Paul said unto them, They have beaten us openly, uncondemned, being Romans, and have cast us into prison. And now do they thrust us out privily? Nay, verily, but let them come themselves and fetch us out. And the sergeant told these words unto the magistrates, and they feared when they heard that they were Romans. And they came and besought them, and brought them out, and desired them to depart out of the city. And they went out of the prison, and entered into the house of Lydia. And when they had seen the brethren, they comforted them, and departed. Let's pray together. Father, we love you tonight. Thank you for letting us be in your house. Thank you for letting us be in your family, Lord. Thank you for letting us be a child of God. I, I Lord, I, as we come tonight with our hearts open to the truth of thy word, it presses upon my mind. It crowds into my conscience. 
that, uh, Lord, you have a desire to work in our lives, that you love us so much that, that you want to speak to us tonight. So help us, Father, having confidence in that truth, to open our hearts unto you and to hear the word of God, that Christ might be magnified and that we might be made more into him, his image. Lord, we love you and we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, we've read quite a bit of Scripture tonight, but I wanted you to have a little bit of the context as we preach through the Word of God this evening. Because what I really want to do is look at the frame of mind of the Apostle Paul, and I want us to consider what God did with the extraordinary praise and faith of this man Paul and his companion, his partner uh, Silas, in their resolve to trust the Lord and praise God in the midst of this unsavory situation. Now, somebody's going to say, well, preacher, this is the same message I've heard a hundred times. And maybe it is. I hope you have heard it a hundred times. I'll give it to you the hundred and first time tonight. But what I want us to notice this evening is the unique power that praise in the prison house has. Now, what I mean to say this evening is, is, of course, you and I may never find ourselves in an actual prison house. Some of y'all probably already been there. I won't ask for an amen, but we'll, just God knows, you know, but... But I mean to say, when we find ourselves in situations similar to the Apostle Paul and similar to Silas, how we respond is, uh, the power of it is directly proportional to the difficulty of our situation. You know, in other words, I found this, it's easy to praise God when things are easy. And it's hard to praise Him when things are hard. But I've also found that if I can muster enough faith, if I can... Uh, mortify the flesh enough to praise Him, even when it's not easy, the return on that faith, the return on that investment, the return on that praise is always greatly outsized and greatly outproportioned than what I've been going through. In other words, in the hard times in our life, God can do more with our testimony. God can do more with our praise. Uh, there's probably not anybody in here that likes hard times. If you if if you do, I don't know what to do for you. Amen. But none of us like hard times. None of us would want to be where uh, where Paul and Silas are. But we find that God can use it in a unique way. So I want us to notice that this evening. First, I want us to say a word about the place that they were in. Now, somebody's going to say, preacher, we know where they were. They were in prison. Yeah, I understand that. But let's speak about it more broadly about their circumstances, their situation. I hear it too, Nick. I don't know what that squeal is. I have no idea. I thought I was going crazy. I'm glad to see you confused by it. I, I started worried I had a tumor or something. Amen. But whatever it is, amen, it might be my hearing. I don't have a hearing aid. If I do, somebody snuck it in there. I don't know what happened, but uh, that's all right. We'll just go on and preach a little bit. Uh, what can we say about this place that they found themselves in? Well, let me say number one tonight. It was a disappointing place for them to praise God. Now you're going to say, well, preacher, I, there's never a bad place to praise God. And I'll say amen to that. But what I mean is that this was not a place where they had a natural excitement over their circumstances that would have easily lent itself towards praising God. You know, it's easy to praise God when something exciting happens. Uh, we all have things I trust in our life that we see the evident hand of God in and praise God for those. But you know, you can praise Him even when you're disappointed. You can praise Him even when things don't work out the way that you're hoping. In fact, if you only praise Him when things work out the way that you're hoping, you're probably rarely going to praise Him. I found out that the blessings of God rarely come in expected ways and expected places. You know, you think about what's going on in this passage. It all begins, we began reading in verse number 16. Notice it with me. It says, It came to pass as we went to prayer... A certain damsel possessed with a spirit of divination met us. Now what that means is she was devil possessed and the devil 
energized and empowered her to be able to have insight uh, in some way into people's lives. And that's what it means. We would call them a soothsayer, maybe a sorceress, maybe, uh, you know, a psychic or something of that effect. Uh, she had a spirit of divination. And the Bible says it brought her masters much gain by this soothsaying. So she's got a nice tidy business uh, for her masters doing this soothsaying. The Bible says the same followed Paul and us and cried, saying these men are the servants of the Most High God which show unto us the way of salvation. Now I can't tell you I understand everything about why she said what she said. There's two distinct possibilities. It's possible that she's saying this because it's that devil in her bearing witness to a truth that it cannot help but disclose the same way that the devil inside the maniac of Gadara came and fell down before Jesus and said that he was the son of the Most High God. It's possible that's the case. But looking at the context, I think it's more likely that she was saying this in a mocking or sarcastic way. She was taking their words and mocking them with them. And I think that's why it grieved the Apostle Paul. I mean, if she had just been given testimony to the goodness and power of God, I don't know that they would have responded this way. But the Bible says, this did she many days in verse 18. But Paul being grieved turned and said to the Spirit, I command thee in the name of Jesus Christ to come out of her. And he came out the same hour. And when her masters saw that their hope of their gains was gone, they caught Paul and Silas and drew them into the marketplace under the rulers and brought them to the magistrate, saying, These men being Jews do exceedingly trouble our city and teach customs which are not lawful for us to receive, neither to observe, being Romans. And the multitude rose up together against them, and the magistrates rent off their clothes and commanded to beat them. Now let me say this. When we read this passage, what started out as a great display of the power of God. I mean, that's what it is, isn't it? Uh, Paul turns around and commands this devil to come out of this girl, uh, comes out of this girl. And I believe when we read this, I, I don't believe it's a far leap to believe that this uh, young girl probably believed on the Lord, was converted, got saved. Uh, she quits the, the soothsaying business and these men are upset because they know they have lost this steady stream of income. God has radically changed the life of a devil-possessed girl and at the same time has put the devil out of business in Philippi regarding this industry. I mean, what a wonderful thing. Uh, I'd be excited about that. I don't know about you, but I, man, I'd be excited. I'd be excited if we went up to church camp and, and uh, young people started getting born again, revival started breaking out, spreading all over Anderson County. Next thing you know, they're having to close down the liquor stores. They're having to close down uh, all of the wicked establishments all up and down Clinton Highway, all up and down this community. Man, I'd be excited about that. But we find that it does not turn out that way for the Apostle Paul and Silas. What started out as a great display of the power of God turned into a grievous display towards the people of God. They could have easily let their confusion and disappointment silence their song and put out their praise. Say, so, preacher, what do you mean? Well, it would have been easy for Paul to look over at Silas and say, boy, that didn't turn out the way we hoped, did it? I mean, we thought revival was about to break out at Philippi. I mean, we thought God was getting ready to do something. But here they find themselves in the prison house. Very often, I just, I, I'm sorry, I hate to disappoint you, but uh, there's going to be disappointing times in your life. We might as well get started now. I mean, I'm just trying to condition you for it. Uh, uh, in other words, you're going to have to deal with disappointment. If the only time you'll praise Him is when you're excited and fired up, everything right, and God is doing extraordinary things in your life, there's going to be a lot of days that He deserves praise, that He won't get praise, because you can't learn to praise Him even when you are disappointed with life circumstances. So it was a disappointing place to praise God. I thought about this. Look down at verse number 29. The Bible says, Then he called for a light 
This is talking about the jailer. Then he called for a light and sprang in and came trembling and fell down before Paul and Silas. Now, you know the story. We've already read it tonight. They begin to pray and praise the Lord. And a great earthquake takes place, shakes all the chains off all the prisoners. That wasn't no ordinary earthquake, amen? An ordinary earthquake wouldn't have done that. That was a divine miracle of God. Shook those chains off of those uh, prisoners. And whenever the jailer realizes what has happened, he begins to take his own life because as a Roman soldier, his life would have had to been forfeit uh, for those prisoners' lives. But whenever Paul cries out, says, Do thyself no harm, all of a sudden, here we're told that the jailer, the first thing he does, he reaches and grabs for a light and jumps in and begins to search for Paul and Silas. Now, this is going to seem silly. It's going to seem childish. But I believe there's a truth here. Let me say, not only was it a disappointing place to praise God, but it was a dark place to praise God. Uh, he had to grab a light and spring in. Why did he have to do that? Because it's dark in And you're going to say, well, preacher, uh, so what? Uh, of course, it'd be dark in the jail. Yeah, but think about this from a spiritual perspective. I don't mean spiritualize it. I just mean think about it from a spiritual perspective. In other words, they're praising Him in the dark. They cannot see anything changing about their circumstances. They cannot, that jailer could have been coming down the hall ready to turn them loose. They would not have known it. They cannot go by what they see. They can only go by what they know. They cannot see help coming. They have to go by faith what they know. They couldn't perceive or see what was going on around them, but they were resolved in what was going on within them. They were convinced that God was good in spite of what they could not see and what they could not understand. If your standard for giving uh, giving praise to God, and, I, and we're going beyond just, I'm talking about shouting in a church house. Now, I'm for shouting in a church house, amen, as long as you ain't cussing, amen. I, I'm for shouting in the church, but I'm talking about in public testifying of the goodness of God in your life, using it as a vehicle to share the gospel with people of what God has done in your life. There are going to be times in your life when you are in dark places where it don't look like it's getting any better, where you can't look around and understand what's going on in your life. I'll be honest with you. Uh, I, I think if you live by faith, and that's what the Christian life is, right? We walk by faith and not by sight. There's going to be more times that you don't understand what God's doing in your life than there will be that you do understand what God's doing in your life. You're going to have to go ahead and make up your mind that even in the dark, He's worthy of your prayers. It was a dark place, praise God. Then I thought about verse 23. Look what it says. It says, when they laid many stripes upon them, they cast them into prison, charging the jailer to keep them safely, who having received such a charge, thrust them into the inner prison and made their feet fast in the stock. Can I just say, this must have been a difficult place to praise God. And you say, well, preacher, it's disappointing. Yeah, I know it's disappointing. I say, preacher, you said it's a dark place. I don't understand anything. But let me go a step further and say, they must have been feeling downright miserable when they began singing. They got stripes, they got, they got open wounds all over their back. They've been beat black and blue. Uh, their feet and their hands are in stocks. They can't move around. Uh, they're probably in a place that's not warm, in a place that's probably damp, in a place that's probably uh, dirty, in a place that's, that's probably filthy and dangerous. They are not in a comfortable position. Are you willing to praise Him even when you don't feel like it? Even when everything about you don't feel like it? Uh, you, you may have never uh, been in the shape that they's in, but you probably woke up a time or two feeling like you'd been beat all over black and blue. You probably had times that you woke up and your flesh didn't want to call, cooperate. Your body didn't feel good. Your mind didn't feel good. You know, we're getting ready to go up to church camp. I love church camp. I mean, I love church camp. But <laughs> there is a distinct difference in the level of morale 
as you move through camp week. When you show up Monday, there is a weary but leery excitement, I should say wary excitement, about what's about to happen. It's almost like you're getting ready to bungee jump. And you believe that rope's going to hold. You're convinced that rope's going to hold. But you're still dreading the jump, you know? And that's kind of how Monday is, man. You're excited. You're, you're, you're excited about what's going on. And then Monday night hits. And see, all them kids done slept till 11 a.m. on Monday and then came up there, got jacked full of sugar and, 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 and excitement and social interaction and then lay down in bed at night and will not sleep. And you see workers on Tuesday morning, man, they look rough. They look like wrung out dish rags. I mean, they look like they look like somebody tied them to a horse and dragged them through a through a, a rock garden. You know, they they just look rough, and they didn't get no sleep and everything. Well, usually Tuesday afternoon they'll rally a little bit. Wednesday they're feeling pretty good. Thursday's a low time. Thursday people's fatigue has has it has fully set in, and usually, man, they're just exhausted. Uh, by Friday morning, you say, what changes Friday? Well, Saturday's awful close. That's what changes Friday. Come Friday, you're going on adrenaline because you know we're, we're about to break out of this, this popsicle stand. We're about to get out of here. We're going to be in air conditioning and everything here soon. But on Thursday, man, you know, and you got to be careful what you say on Thursday. I mean, you can walk up to somebody and you can say, isn't it a beautiful morning? They might hit you right in the mouth. I mean, people are at a low place now. I say all that tongue-in-cheek, but what I mean to say is this. You know why that is? They're tired, they're worn out, maybe a little stressed, and they're excited about what God's doing up there that week, but their flesh is weighing heavy on them. Their flesh is its hanging on them like a, like a coat of mail. I mean, it's just heavy on their shoulders, and sometimes it ain't easy to praise God when you don't feel good. Some of you that deal with chronic pain, and I know we've got folks in here that just hurt and hurt and hurt. Sometimes it ain't easy to praise Him when you don't feel good. And I say they didn't feel good. Their flesh wasn't no happier about it than, than yours would be. But they said, you know, even when it's difficult, he's worthy of our praise. Even when it ain't simple, even when it ain't easy, even when it ain't straightforward, he's still worthy of our praise. Some of us have only a convenient praise. Undoubtedly, Paul and Silas did not feel in their flesh like praising God. However, difficult praise is born of faith. It has a higher premium on it than convenient praise that's born of feeling in flesh. You know, we could say it like this. The harder the circumstances, the sweeter the song. Anybody can praise God when they feel good. But when you're hurting, when you're confused, when you're disappointed, when everything's going the wrong way, when you're laid up in a jail with your feet in stocks, and you find the faith to say, you know, nothing about my circumstances would call on me to praise God, but everything that I know about God demands that I praise Him. That's when praise begins to hold a high premium. So what impact did their praise have? Well, let's just read through this. I ain't even really going to preach it. I just want to notice it tonight, and then we'll go to the house. Look down at verse number 25. I, I, I jotted down a few different people that were impacted by the way that Paul and Silas praised the Lord and, and what that impact was. You know, and the first one is in verse 25. The Bible says at midnight, Paul and Silas prayed and sang praises unto God, and the prisoners heard them. Let me say, number one, we notice the impact on the companion. Now, let's be honest here. I mean, if we're going to be, if we're going to be truthful, we really don't know who started singing first. We all kind of think, well, Paul probably did because Paul's Mr. Super Spiritual Superhero. And maybe he did. I mean, maybe, maybe Silas was over there getting ready to just pack it all in. And Paul said, don't worry, Silas, we're going to be all right. But we really don't know. Could have been Silas. Could have been Paul. But I think we can say definitively, one of them must have started. 
One of them must have looked around and said, what do we do? I don't know what to do. How do we get out of here? I don't know how to get out of here. Well, what are we going to do till we do get out of here? I know. Let's praise God. Let's sing praises to His name. Let's pray and talk to the Lord. It won't be wasted time. Uh, listen, they, they can lock us up, but they can't shut us up. Let's go ahead and just rejoice and praise and just give God the glory that is due His name. Whenever one of them started doing that, so indistinguishable was the effect. So indistinguishable was, was the unity that they had that they're spoken of in one pair, Paul and Silas. And we probably could have said Silas and Paul, but it doesn't matter. When one started, the other started, and he began to praise God. You know what you'll find? You'll find that those that are around you will be buoyed in their faith. They will be elevated in their faith if you'll go ahead and just trust God. Praise the Lord. I'm not talking about unwarranted positivity. I'm not talking about blind optimism. I'm talking about faith grounded in the truth of God's Word and God's character and God's nature. If you're in the midst of your prison house, in the midst of your calamity, just say, I don't understand it, but I know God's still good and I'm going to go ahead and just trust Him, praise Him, give Him the glory due His name, keep on testifying, keep on witnessing, keep on serving, keep on praying. You know what you'll find? Other people will find it easier to do the same thing. I noticed, one, it gave him courage. It took courage to do what these men did. Not because they feared the jailer, but undoubtedly, like all men, their flesh feared death. No doubt they wondered what was waiting for them. But listen, it's a beautiful thing when you can learn to sing right into the devil's teeth. When you can learn to praise right in the face of destruction and calamity. That's victory. And that's what one of them began to do. And the other one said, you know, if he can do it, I can do it. I mean, Paul's just over here or Silas just over here acting like we're down at prayer meeting. And the reason why is because in their heart and mind, they was down at prayer meeting. And they said, man, you know, if they can do that, I can do that. It gave them courage, but I noticed it was contagious. It, it spread to the other person. You know, so often we look to others to be the rock and the string and, and, the, and the, the platform that elevates us. But you know, every once in a while, they might be looking at us hoping for that same thing. If we can find the peace and resolve to go ahead and go on and serve God, we ought to go ahead and do it because you never know how many other people may be sitting on the side watching and trying to see, taking their cues as to whether God can move in a situation. I'm not going to take the time to preach it, but sometime read through 1 Samuel 14 about Jonathan and his armor bearer going on down and fighting the Philistines when Saul and his men are uh, up uh, by the pomegranate tree in Gibeah, afraid, scared, cowering under that tree. And Jonathan looks at his armor bearer and says, you know, we ought to go down there. Uh, who knows But what God may give us victory down there. I'd rather die trying to whoop Philistines down there uh, than uh, just uh, die of old age laying up here under this pomegranate tree. Let's just go on down and see what God will do. They go down and God helps them. They begin to kill Philistines. The battle uh, begins to wax hot. And the Bible tells us that Saul looks down. He sees what's going on. He looks around his men and says, number the crowd. Take a head count. Let's find out who's down there doing that. They find out it was Jonathan. They said, we ain't going to let Jonathan be down there and whoop all them Philistines. He got his nerve then. You know? well, I ain't going to let Jonathan be the one that whoops all them Philistines. He ain't going to whoop my Philistines. Yeah, you coward. You're sitting up under eating pomegranates. You know, Something wrong with somebody eats pomegranates anyway. And uh, yes, and so he says, let's go down there and help them. But then the Bible tells us there were some Israelites hidden in caves 
that were hiding from the battle. When they saw what was going on, they rushed down and helped. And then there were some uh, Israelites that, that were behind enemy lines. They were fighting with the Philistines because they thought the battle was hopeless. They crossed sides and began killing Philistines. You say, how'd that happen, preacher? Because somebody decided they was going to go on, serve God, even when the battle was sore, even when all hope was lost. They said, who knows what God might do. Just like Paul and Silas. I know it's bad, Silas, but let's go ahead and praise him. Brother Paul, I know it don't look like there's no hope, but he's still worthy of our praise. Let's go ahead and pray and let's go ahead and serve him. And it had an impact on that companion. So I thought about the impact it had on the companion. Look down at verse 26. Now this is this is important. The Bible says, and suddenly there was a great earthquake so that the foundations of the prison were shaken. I thought about not only the impact on the companion, but I thought about the impact on heaven that their praise had. Uh, the Bible tells us not only that they sang praises unto God, but that they prayed. You know what's amazing? We don't get any glimpse of what's going on in heaven. But we can tell something that happened in heaven by what happened on earth. You know, every great divine earthquake uh, that happens in a person's life, it began up in heaven. You say, what do you mean, preacher? Well, I'm saying it may just look down here like God shook their world all to pieces, but it began because somebody prayed when all things looked lost. And so Paul and Silas, they began to pray, and we see two things. One, I noticed this, their prayer, it reached the heavens. God heard their prayer. God heard their praise. We may feel as though He's not listening, uh, but feeling will lie to you. Faith won't. The truth of the Word of God won't. And we can have faith that God is listening. He is hearing. And you know, God did an extraordinary thing here. I'm not saying every time that we praise Him in the midst of our trouble that the earth's going to quake, that God's going to give some great divine manifestation, miraculously speaking. He'll give us what we need when we need it because He's good to us and He loves us. But I do think it is interesting that God would go to such great lengths to answer their prayer. It's almost as though God is sitting up there saying, now I want these boys to know that I have heard them. He could have just had the chains fall off. He could have just had the jailer have a change of heart come in. He could have just had orders materialized from Rome to the magistrates to say, let these men go. But instead, God shook the earth to let them know that they had reached the heavens. In other words, whenever we in the midst of our affliction, our trials, when things are difficult and dark and disappointing and things are not the way we wish they were, we begin to pray. God sits up and takes notice. Uh, do you remember in the New Testament, the book of Acts, whenever in uh, chapter number 7, we won't turn there and read, but whenever Stephen, the first martyr of the New Testament church, is being stoned to death, uh, do you remember now, what does your Bible say uh, about the position of the Lord Jesus Christ? The Bible tells us that we are seated together with Him in heavenly places. The Bible tells us that He is seated at the right hand of the Father. But do you remember when Stephen begins to pray, he's being stoned to death, the, the rocks are pummeling his body, the life is being driven out of him, and he looks forward and, and he begins to pray so much like the Savior did. He said, Lord, lay not this sin to their charge. He begins to pray. He begins to call on God. He begins to look towards heaven. And the Bible says when he looked towards heaven, he said, I see the Son of God standing at the right hand of the Father. Now my Bible says he's sitting. But evidently, whenever, uh, whenever Stephen started praying, <laughs> in the midst of being stoned to death, whenever Stephen starts praying, the Son of God stood up to take notice. And you say, preacher, couldn't he have noticed without standing up? Well, sure he could. The eyes of the Lord are everywhere, beholding all things, the righteous and the evil. So why did he stand? Well, why do we stand? We stand out of reverence, don't we? 
Uh, that It's a ceremonial standing. You stand when you are giving reverence to something that someone has done or to who somebody is. And it's almost like God stood up in heaven and said, that's my child. That's my child. So in other words, when we pray, when we trust the Lord, when we go on, when we praise His name, when we keep keep our faith in Him in the midst of difficult situations, there's an impact in heaven. Then I thought about this. The Bible says in verse 26, you know, it said back in, in well, let's read verse 25. Let's start there. Let's, let's go back and read it, verse number 25, and we'll read down. The Bible says, And at midnight, Paul and Silas prayed and sang praises unto God. The Bible says, And the prisoners heard them. Now, I don't know that the Holy Ghost had to say that, except he's wanting to make a point. I don't know that it would have changed anything, in other words, about the narrative of the story, had we not known that. But the Holy Ghost goes out of his way to give us that little bit of information. The prisoners heard them praying and singing praise to God. Suddenly there was a great earthquake so that the foundations of the prison were shaken. And immediately all the doors were open and everyone's bands were loose. Look down at verse 28 with me. Paul cried out when the jailer comes in with a loud voice saying, Do thyself no harm, for we are all here. I thought about the impact of their praise uh, on uh, the companion. I thought about the impact of their praise on, on heaven. But then I thought about the impact of their praise on the prisoners that were there as well. It, it had an effect on those. Uh, could I use this word? The spectators. The spectators. There were some folks standing around watching what they were doing. Some folks in the exact same situation that Paul and Silas were in. That were watching to see, listen now, how a Christian was going to act when he was locked up in the jailhouse. When they saw them praying and praising God, I noticed two things here. The first thing, it's obvious in our text, is that it broke their restraints. The Bible says everyone's bands were loose. Now, I could make a real spiritual application to that, and, and certainly I think there is an application to be made. I mean, God can loose our chains, but He can loose anyone's chains. God can do for the drunk down the street what He can do for you and for me, and, and God's capable, and God is not restrained in what He does. I mean, listen, He can loose anybody's chains. Praise His name for it. But what I find interesting is in this next thing, it broke their restraints, but then I find that it, their prayer, their praise, became their constraint. So what do you mean, preacher? Well, I don't know about you. I would think that the average prisoner would have jumped up out of there and took off as soon as those chains fell off. You ever wonder why they waited around? I can tell you why they waited around. They're trying to figure out what had just happened. I mean, earthquakes are not uncommon in this part of the world. In Asia Minor, it wasn't uncommon. I mean, there was a great earthquake destroyed the city of Colossae, left it in ruin, and, and Philippi was not far away. It was not unusual. But now, they had never seen an earthquake like this that come along and picked the lock on everybody's chains. And now, all of a sudden, they stop because they are amazed at what God has done. And they want to find out exactly what has just happened. You know what you'll find? Other people, when they see somebody praise God, go on, serve the Lord. How many times have you heard people say, boy, I don't know how they do it. I don't know how they bear the load that they bear. I don't know how they carry the cross they carry. I don't know how they... And people just stand back. And you know, when a lost person looks at someone like that, they begin to wonder what it is that's different about them. They begin to wonder, why is it that, you know, they, they're, they're losing their parent or they're battling cancer. Man, their kid's gone buck wild, messed up. How is it that they can just keep on trusting God and going to church? Why is it they got a song on their on their heart? Why is it? I mean, this God that 
that I would think if God was real, I'd think they'd have no problems. But this God, almost like Job says, though He slayed them, yet they trust in Him. I don't understand it. I want to know something about this God. Prisoners, why'd they hang around? Because they wanted to find out what had happened. They wanted to find out who this God was that could shake the earth and break their chains. So I see the impact it had on the prisoners. Let's go a little further. We don't want to preach a lot tonight, just a little. Look what it says in verse 27. The Bible says, And the keeper of the prison, awaking out of his sleep, and seeing the prison doors open, he drew out his sword and would have killed himself, supposing that the prisoners had been fled. Now stop and think about it. In his mind, his life's done. It's over. He's getting ready to plunge that blade into his into his heart or into his stomach. He's getting ready to kill himself. He is a man that has no hope any longer. You know, I found it's easy for God to save a man when that man runs out of hope. I found a lot of folks run from the Lord because they're putting their hope in a bunch of different stuff. And they've not ran out those those ropes yet. They've not ran out that hope yet. They've not sounded the depths of it. They've not been like the prodigal and come to the end of themselves before they uh, awoke and began to think about God's love in their life. But this man, he's got no hope. And he says, man, my life is done. And he's getting ready to kill himself. And I I don't know, it's dark in there. I, I don't know how Paul knew. I, I guess the Holy Ghost pressed on his heart. And, 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 you know, sometimes the Holy Ghost will pinch you and make you cry out. And that's what he did to Paul. Paul cried out. He cried with a loud voice saying, Do thyself no harm, for we are all here. Now, imagine the impact that had. Not only did this man who had no hope all of a sudden, he now has hope. But he has to figure out why, however many, 5, 10, 20, 100, 300, why in the world would all these prisoners just sit there? He begins to think, you know, if God can break their chains, God can restrain them as well. And he begins to wonder what has happened here. You say, how do you know that, preacher? Because look what it says. Verse 29, then he called for a light, sprang in and came trembling and fell down before Paul and Silas and brought them out and said, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? Now we can try to we can try to you know people talk about spiritualizing the text. We can try to practicalize. Well, I'll get it said here in a second. Practicalize. That's called a George Bush word right there. We can try to practicalize that text. We can say, well, he's saying, what do I have to do to escape with my life? But see, I don't buy that. You know why? Because he already knows the prisoners are still there. To be saved as regards his job and getting in trouble, being sentenced to death, that's no issue. He goes back through, clips them uh, stocks uh, shut back on their feet, and he's golden. He don't even have to let anyone know anything's happened. So when he says, what must I do to be saved? He's not saying, how can I save my neck? He's saying, how can I save my soul? So he all of a sudden now believes and is convinced of what Paul and Silas have been saying, and now he is seeking to know their God intimately and personally. He's wanting to be converted. Now, I thought about this. You know, what was the impact on the jailer? Well, if nothing else, we could say this. Number one, it convinced him of Christianity. I would venture to say that every one of them prisoners had a religion. I mean, at this time, I know today, this whole Marxist, atheist, uh, fantasy delusion that there's no God, it takes a lot of faith to believe what the atheist believes. I know this is a modern phenomenon. Uh, back at this time, every man would have had a god. Every man would have worshipped something. But whatever gods that they worshipped, presumably they would have been Roman gods. Whatever gods that they worshipped hadn't done a thing for them. But now this god that Paul and Silas worshipped, he had shook heaven and earth. He had broke the chains off. Something was real and different. 
and when it would have been easy for Paul and Silas, you know what most people would have done is looked around at them uh, fellow prisoners and said, now we better kill this jailer while we got a chance so we can get out of here. Instead, Paul and Silas say, hey, pal, do yourself no harm. Don't worry, we're all here. Everybody's sitting there and if they try to get up, I'll whoop them. Don't you worry one bit. You just don't worry. Everybody's, don't hurt yourself trying to get in here. We're all fine. We ain't going nowhere. He began to think, you know, there's something different about this guy. This guy is not like other people that we've met. Every prisoner that we've met has tried to tunnel their way out. And now he's sitting there saying, take your time, Mr. Warden. We ain't going anywhere. We're just going to sit right here. It convinced him of their Christianity. It showed him that there was something real there that he hadn't seen in anything else. You know, very often, boy, I want to be careful I say this. I, listen, I don't think lifestyle evangelism is the be-all, end-all, or is sufficient in and of itself. Men are not saved by watching Christians. They're saved by looking to Christ. I want to be clear about that. I, you know, if ever there's anybody could have, could have claimed lifestyle evangelism, what I mean by that is saying, I don't have to give the gospel because I'm just a good Christian. I'm such a good Christian, people just say, see me and fall out and get born again. That's how some people think. And really all it is, it's, it's a dodge away from confrontational soul winning. Can I just say this to you tonight? Listen, if there's ever anybody that could have fell back on lifestyle evangelism, I'd like to think that it'd be the lovely Son of God. But in John chapter number 4, he went and talked with a woman about where she was headed and how she could be saved. I'm talking about confrontational. I don't, I don't mean cantankerous soul winning. I mean confrontation. He talked to her about her soul. So I, I don't want you to misconstrue what I'm about to say. But I do want to say this. There are some people out there that are not going to form an opinion about your Christ until they first form an opinion about your Christianity. There are people out there, and I understand, listen, if you go out and soul win and witness, the people you come across, the people at the grocery store, people at the bank, people down at the park, they don't know you. All they know is what gospel you give them. But the people in your family, the people that know you, the people that you work with, you better believe they're sitting back and they're watching you going through this. They're watching what you're doing. And they're trying to decide whether all that stuff you've been talking is real or not. And they're, they're trying to find out if this God that you pray to at lunch hour, when you bow your head, they're trying to find out. All right, now, now listen, now that he's sick, now that he's lost this, now that he's going through this, is there going to be anything to it? You say, preacher, what do I need to do? Well, just go ahead serving him, praising him, worshiping him, living for him, witnessing for him. Don't quit. Don't lay down. Just keep going forward. And you know, you might find somebody standing over the side that says, there's something about this. It convinced him of Christianity. But then look down at verse 31. We're about done here. I got eight or ten more points and we'll be done. Verse 31 says, They said, Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, and thou shalt be saved in thy house. And they spake unto him the word of the Lord, and to all that were in his house. Now, that's important, right? The Holy Ghost is deliberate in what he says. I believe everything in this King James Bible is right what it ought to be. And some people take that when it says, Thou shalt be saved in thy house. And they say, well, if you get born again, that means all your kids will get born again. You hang around for at least ten minutes and your theory will be disproven. I know plenty of saved folk that love God, living for God, who, whose kids are out and some of them we're praying, we're begging God to save them. And it ain't a failure necessarily on the parents' part. It's just God gives us all free will. I know there's some folks that I can't figure out why He gives them free will, but God gives all of us free will. Amen. If I was God, there'd be some folks I'd say, no, you can't be trusted. <laughs> we, can't, we can't let you make decisions. You're going to burn the whole thing down. But God respects men's free will. And so people will take that misconstrued and say, well, this means if a, if a person gets saved, uh, then all, all, everybody in the family will get saved. No, that's not true. 
But look what the Holy Ghost says. They spake unto him the word of the Lord and to all that were in his house. Now, what were they saying when they said, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved and thy house? They were saying, you can be saved if you'll believe on the Lord. But not just you. Uh, listen, sir, your wife can be saved if she'll believe on the Lord. And your children can be saved if they'll believe on the Lord. I've read all the statistics and I understand the importance of the head of the home coming to Christ. I'm not trying to dismiss that. But I'm also not going to say something God doesn't say here. The Holy Ghost goes out of His way to say, why could His whole house believe? They, they want, God ain't got no grandchildren. They want not let in. They want not grandfathered in because, because the daddy got saved. But rather, the same gospel that saved the daddy could save the wife, could save the children. And that's what happened. This whole family got born again. The Bible says He took them the same hour of the night, washed their stripes, was baptized He in all His straight way. And when He had brought them into His house, He set meat before them and rejoiced, believing in God with all his house. And I just, I jotted this down. I'm not going to preach it. It convinced him of Christianity. And then consequentially, you know what happened? It convinced him of Christ. What must I do to be saved? Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. And he said, all right, I'll gladly do that. If I can know the same God that is doing this in your life, if I can know him, I'll believe on anything you ask me to believe on. Sometimes we think that soul winning is an intellectual pursuit, but it's not. It's a pursuit of the will. Now, we ought to be prepared to answer genuine, sincere questions with a biblical answer. But one of the things you'll learn real quick, you get out and start testifying, witnessing to people sharing the gospel. Some folks ain't interested in salvation. They're interested in debate. That's all they want. They just want to argue. You say, what do I do about that, preacher? Be kind, be loving, and, and be gone. That's what you do with it. Because while you're arguing with them, somebody's sitting down here dying and going to hell. It's not worth it. If they're sincere, that's one thing. I'm not against giving an, an honest, sincere answer. We ought to be ready to give an answer for the hope that lies within us. But I recognize this, that uh, soul winning, it's not an intellectual pursuit, it's a pursuit of the will. It's a battle of the gospel against the human will. Uh, the gospel of Jesus Christ has to win the day when a person submits their will to God and says, I'm willing to admit that I'm a sinner and I'm not going to go my own way. I need the Lord to save me and forgive me and change my life. Well, how'd that happen in this man's life? Because he had seen what happened in the lives of God's people when they stayed faithful to the Lord. So I see the impact on the jailer. Let's just hurry through these. Look at the impact on the magistrates. Verse 35. The Bible says when it was day, the magistrates sent the sergeants saying, let those men go. And the keeper of the prison told this saying to Paul, the magistrates have sent to let you go. Now therefore depart and go in peace. Now I'm going to be honest with you. You can, you can tear your Bible apart. You won't find where it ever tells us that the magistrates knew what happened that night. It's entirely possible. You want my opinion? I think it is plausible that that jailer, freshly born again, knows he has a duty and responsibility. I think it is quite likely that he went in and told the magistrates what had happened the night before. And I'll say this, he might as well tell the truth because there was a whole jailhouse full of prisoners that had seen what had happened. And uh, you know how it goes. You get more than two people together, you might as well just tell everybody. Amen. So I, I think it is probably likely that they knew what had happened. I think it is probably likely that the reason they wanted to let these men go, because nothing had changed, except God had showed up and shook the chains off every prison. And I think they probably thought to themselves, we don't know what God this is we're dealing with, but we want no part in Him. Let's get these men out of this prison before things get worse. And I thought to myself, isn't that funny? You say, preacher, what do I do when, when oppression happens, persecution happens? Well, first off, don't call things persecutions that are really just bad decisions. That's number one. I'm going to say it again. Don't call things divine or satanic persecution that are really just bad decisions in our life. There are sometimes the devil's been trying to destroy me. There are sometimes I'm just tripping over my own feet. Somebody say amen to that. 
Sometimes the devil looks back and says, I love that boy. He helps me more than I. <laughs> but you say, preacher, what, what do we do when persecution comes? Go ahead and smile in the devil's teeth. Praise God and go on living for the Lord. You know, that's something the devil can't handle. They wanted to kill these men. But because of their praying and praising God, going on serving the Lord, now they're just happy to get rid of them. They just want them out of their hair. And I thought about this. You say, what did it do to the magistrates? Well, number one, it foiled their plans. It foiled their plans. You know that the devil... Well, oh boy, how can I say this? The devil will only kill you as a last resort. Can I tell you something common between God and the devil both? They'll only kill you as a last resort. They both prefer to get as much out of your life as they possibly can. God will, I believe, with all my heart, God will put a man in a grave if there's nothing more to be derived for the glory of Christ out of their life. And that can happen because we just reach our appointed time. It can happen because of rebellion, disobedience. But precious in the sight of the Lord is the death of His saints. You know, I believe the same thing is true about the devil, though. Uh, I believe that the devil, because if he can get more out of your life by turning you into a trophy of sin and shame and doing damage to the name of Christ, he'll keep you around as long as he can and try to use you as a destructive force. When he has derived, when he has drawn, when he has zapped everything that he can use out of your life, he'll throw you away like an old corn husk. He's done with you at that point. I, I think that you say, preacher, why did the magistrates let him go? Because they realized if all they're going to do is just sit down there winning people to Christ, we need to get them out of here. If all they're going to do down in the jailhouse is praise their God and pray and have revival and have church, we might as well just get rid of them. Preacher, what can I do to get the devil to get off my back? Go ahead and just keep praising him. Go ahead and keep praying to him. Go ahead and keep serving him. I'm not saying the devil lose interest, but I do think at a certain point when he recognizes that his affliction of your life is only purifying you to the glory of God. I'm not saying he's going to leave you alone, but I'm going to say that God will get the glory out of it. It fooled their plans. Number two, it struck fear in their hearts. The Bible says in verse 37, I love this moment. You ever have them fly on the wall moments when you read your Bible? Think, man, I'd love to been fly on the wall. I would love to have seen this conversation. But Paul said unto them, they have beaten us openly, uncondemned being Romans. Now you say, well, preacher, why is that a big deal? Because they was about to get in deep trouble over that. Uh, they had transgressed Caesar's law by doing that. They did not know that Paul and Silas were Roman citizens. And they had no right to condemn them, uh, with, with to, to uh, beat them uncondemned without a trial. And they was getting ready to be in trouble. So Paul says, oh, by the way, I don't know if I mentioned this earlier, fellas, but we are Roman citizens. And they said, oh, man. Uh, they've cast us into prison. Now do they thrust us out privily? Nay, verily, but let them come themselves and fetch us out. And the sergeants told these words unto the magistrates, and they feared when they heard that they were Romans. All of a sudden, now, when they realize what has happened, and they realize that Paul ain't going, he's not going to tuck tail and run. He's not going to go out the back door quietly. All of a sudden, it struck fear in their hearts. You say, preacher, how can I put the devil's crowd on the run? Just stay faithful no matter what. You, you ain't got to take sword in hand and slay the foes and the enemy. Just stay faithful and God will give you victory in your life. Well, let's do one more. Look down at verse 40. The Bible says they went out of the prison, entered into the house of Lydia, and when they had seen the brethren, they comforted them and departed. I thought about the impact it had on the believers. Say, so what? well, what, what happened to them? Well, number one, they were convinced of God's power. You know, when you go on and read Paul's letter to the church at Philippi, 
you'll find that the church at Philippi, I'm not saying it was perfect. There were issues. There was, there was some contention, a little squabble between two individuals. But by and large, they were a going and growing church that is doing things for God and is moving forward. And the Bible talks, Paul talks about the great faith that they had in giving unto the work of God. That, that, that they gave over and above and that they just went on even when it wasn't easy, even when it wasn't simple. They gave not out of their prosperity, not of, out of their abundance, but out of their poverty. They just went on and served God. God, even when it was not easy. They weren't a wealthy church, but they just kept serving God. You say, where'd they learn that? Well, I think they learned it on this night. They learned when things aren't easy, you don't quit on God. When things are tough, you don't, you don't quit on God. God didn't quit on you. You just keep on going. They were convinced that if they would give God the best and the first in their life, God would turn it to His glory and their good. And then I noticed they were comforted with God's peace. The Bible says, when they had seen the brethren, when Paul and Silas had seen the brethren, they, Paul and Silas, comforted the brethren and then departed. When they had seen them, they came in and they said, listen, I know you're upset, I know you're tore up, I know you're afraid, but look what God did in this situation. And it gave them peace in their heart and mind. Can I just remind you, hey, listen, sometimes what another person needs is to see us be faithful to God in the midst of our trial. Sometimes that is the grace that God dispenses to them. That is the peace that God gives to their heart. That we should be fellow laborers with God in giving confidence and, and, and boldness in the heart of another believer when they see us go through trial. How many in here have been helped by the book of Job once or twice? Man, I tell you, I don't know. I, I'm going to have to buy him Coca-Cola when I get to heaven. I mean, I, I, I <laughs> ain't no telling how much help I've got because Job went through the fire. Preacher, I'm going through something. Well, just make sure you go through it. Don't sit down and give up in the middle of it. Go ahead and keep trusting God. Keep praising Him. And you'll find that God can do more with the praise in the prison house than He can the praise that we utter in the palace in comfort in ease. Let's bow together tonight. Musicians going to come and play. And I just want to give you an opportunity to respond to the Lord. I don't know what He might have said to you tonight, but I believe if He did speak to you, there's a reason for it. So you ought to respond to Him. If He spoke to your heart, you ought to respond to Him tonight. And you ought to be obedient. Meet Him in this altar and pour your heart out before Him. Lord, I love you. I thank you for this time. Thank you for the truth of your word. Bless this time that we have of invitation. We ask it in Christ's name with our heads bowed, our eyes.